but I don't want other people to suffer silently like I did for 15 years and certainly stay in the dark by themselves. So I'm a positive psychology life coach. I'm narrative coaching. I work with people and their stories. And I like to highlight that because a lot of what I do is help people understand how they became, how that influences who they're being so that they can take some agency and become the version of them that they wish to be. So that narrative arc is really important. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. After personally struggling for years upon years with chronic health issues that traditional medicine and pharmaceuticals could not resolve, I finally found relief in true healing through a functional medicine approach. Since then, I've dedicated my life to helping patients around the world transform their health by getting to the root cause of symptoms and restoring their body's natural ability to heal. This experience has shown me that a true state of wellness often requires an integrated approach that brings in multiple disciplines and modalities. In this podcast, I will interview a variety of practitioners and health professionals to educate and empower you on the full spectrum of tools that are available to reclaim your health and vitality. If you are struggling with health challenges and you are not getting the answers or results you feel you deserve, or you simply want to optimize your health and take a proactive approach to wellness, this podcast is for you. And if you like the show and find it helpful, be sure to tell a friend, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. We have another amazing guest and topic today. I'm joined by Kathy Washburn, who is a life coach who works with individuals navigating change. She is a cancer survivor and warm connector. Kathy uses her unique mix of life experiences, education in positive psychology, post-traumatic growth, narrative healing, and neuroscience to invite clients to reconnect to their bodies, minds, and emotions. She describes herself as a conduit, giving research legs as she incorporates into her coaching the latest evidence-based research to help guide clients towards living authentic, joy-filled lives. Kathy is a graduate of the Whole Being Institute, Whole Being Positive Psychology and Positive Psychology Coaching, the Moment Institute, Narrative Coaching and Integrated Development, and Dr. Rick Hansen's Positive Neuroplasticity Training and Teacher Certification. And finally, she is a holistic cancer coach. Kathy is a wealth of knowledge. She's an amazing person. You're going to get so much value out of this podcast. So stay tuned till the end and let's dive in. Well, hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for joining me on the Grassroots Functional Medicine Podcast. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I know you have a lot to share, and uh, I'm just uh, so happy that we could meet up and, and make this a possibility. Such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, I know you have an amazing story, and uh, you, like I said, you have a lot to share. But before we jump into everything that you're doing, I would love for you just to share a little bit about your background and you know why you're so passionate about the work that you're doing, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I think I was kind of rebirthed five years ago. <laughs> I spent 25 years in the investment industry, always kind of not really my jam, but I was good at what I did. 
But five years ago, I remember a really dark night Googling something. I don't remember exactly what the words were that I put into the search bar, but what came out was a free edX course called The Science of Happiness. And that first night I spent up until the wee hours in the morning doing the first two modules. It was a course that was offered by the University of California, Berkeley, on this system that was free and accessible to everybody. So you too can Google the science of happiness and take that class. And it really cracked open a little bit of light in a really dark time. It was the end of my 25-year marriage. And like all marriages, it ended badly, ended in betrayal, but it ended with him sharing that he was betraying me for most of the marriage. So it unraveled like the world that I stood on. So I just didn't know what to do and where to go. And I had just retired from my job and my sons were off gallivanting in Spain and Australia doing a, what do you call it? Not a gap year. They were studying abroad. Uh, So I just was rudderless at that point. I felt like one of those wind socks that you see at car dealerships, just like wailing around But I found positive psychology and I realized that I grew up in a really unemotional house. My parents loved me. There's no no bad things, but we had a really strong work ethic and there was no emotion. So that has kind of played a big part. And then I got cancer when I was 34, had stage four cancer. And After my treatment was finished, I got back to normal and tried to move forward. So all that to say is I came at this work honestly, because I consider myself a recovering type C personality. I don't know if you've ever heard the reference to type C. No, tell me about that. No, no. Tell me about type Uh, C. This is fascinating, fascinating work. A type C, I'm sure you've heard of type A and type B. So for those in the audience that don't know of type A or type B, type A is often people that have are, can be seen as like tense, aggressive, maybe angry. And these individuals, as we know, are prone to heart disease. Type Bs, and by the way, all this research was done at the same time. Type B personality types display the ability to actually feel and express emotions. I think it's where we all want to be. And then type C are those to be extremely, they're extremely cooperative, patient, and you might see them or, or actually be able to see them as patient patients. They're passive, lack assertiveness, selfless, And boy, did I fit into that category. And very often they suppress their emotions. And as you and I both know, suppressing emotions does a lot to your immune system. And so these people with type C personalities are prone to cancer. Wow. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It makes total sense. So that when I stumbled upon that work, I first read about it. I'm a, a certified cancer coach. So I'm a holistic cancer coach. So I work with 
cancer patients and survivors, mostly survivors, but I'm kind of widening that a little. But this has been around since 1984. People know about this. Louise Hay, Dr. Diane Perlman, they've been talking about this. Metor Gabe, Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate, that does a lot about trauma. It's in his book. Wow. It should be more well known because right, right, like it should. if we knew more, just right. like people that know they're prone to stress and can go into cardiac disease, right? we help them de-stress. We help them change their eating habits. We can do the same for type C personalities. So I'm so passionate about this work. That's amazing. Yeah. And it makes, I mean, we work with a lot of people with autoimmune issues too, and I bet they would fit right into that category. They're either, you know, type A or type C. We never see a, a type B personality who's sick, it seems like, right? And there's something to be said about that. There really is. It's amazing. Yeah. I feel like we're, there's very few of those around these days, just the way our, our society is and our culture is. It's It's interesting. Yes, the onslaught. So a lot of what, once I figured that out and understood if I had had that awareness after I had cancer, you know, life could have been different. I don't look back that way, but I don't want other people to suffer silently like I did for 15 years and certainly stay in the dark by themselves. So I'm a positive psychology life coach. I'm narrative coaching. I work with people and their stories and I like to highlight that because a lot of what I do is help people understand how they became, how that influences who they're being so that they can take some agency and become the version of them that they wish to be. So that narrative arc is really important. That's great. And I want to dive all into that because I think that's what people are just going to get so much value out of that. But I'd love to hear a little bit too. You mentioned, I know you've had a lot going on recently and you took this you know, amazing trip, that 10,000 mile trip to be exact. Do you mind talking about that a little bit more before we dive into all the details about, about what you're doing? Yes. My sons call this my eat, pray, love tour. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's awesome. <laughs> and it was a little, but I found myself in this window where I didn't have a place to live. So I decided to go around the country in a big square, which is 10,000 miles. I ended up driving 17,000, but 10,000 miles in the big square and go to different cancer centers to raise awareness about quality of life after cancer. It didn't go exactly as planned. I had a great send-off because I started in Minneapolis, which is where I was treated. And my oncologist and my radiologist are still there. And so they got me in the system. And so I spoke at a, a survivorship summit. I was on a panel and another. And then I teach, I teach monthly courses at a place in Minneapolis that I was affiliated with 20 years ago. So that was, I got like really excited, like this is going to go gangbusters. And then I start going around and calling cancer places. And they're like, who are you? What are you trying to do? Let me transfer you to marketing. I'm like, oh, no. no, that's not really well to go. So I realized pretty quickly that I had to have an in with the different hospitals. And crazily enough, I got a lot of those through my dog. <laughs> We'd be walking in parks or various places and he would choose to misbehave with a certain person. Like he jumps up on people, which is not a good habit. But 
these people, I would start talking to them about what I was doing. And crazily enough, they were an oncology nurse at Seattle Northwest Children's Hospital or their husband was a doctor or their daughter was a nurse. And I just shamelessly (laughs) asked for email addresses and So I kind of got around the country that way. And at the same time, I was doing a little bit of my own eat, pray, love, working through some emotions that I had suppressed, that I was working through with my therapists and people around the country that were known for certain things. So it was really, I'm so blessed to be able to have had that experience, so privileged. And my other goal was to connect with 10,000 people. I was a little aggressive, (laughs) (laughs) but I did keep track of it. And I got like to 2,800. That includes like groups I was speaking to and, and stuff like that. But it was really, really rewarding. That's awesome. And I mean, the courage it takes to do that, that's, that's just amazing. And I bet you met some really cool people along the way. Yes. And I saw that our country is like going to you know, 15 mini countries. I know that you, you grew up in Texas. It's a really different world in Texas. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. There's climate issues as I went around the country, like all different flooding in Montana fires in the South. It was just, it was just crazy crazy. to see all that. I bet. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you landed here in New England. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about your work. I know that you are a life coach and that might be foreign to a lot of our listeners. Do you mind just telling us a little bit more about, you know, what is a life coach and how does that compare to maybe a health coach or a traditional therapist? I don't know if, yeah, I know you're probably familiar with the continuum of health, where as a zero would be your a function your normal functioning and if you go to the left you're having difficulties functioning and that in specifically with mental health you would see a therapist to help you function they can diagnose and treat with medicine to help you get through difficult times we've all had those issues but then you get to the continuum and what's happening happened recently is especially after covid is even though people are functioning normal inside they're not functioning so well there's a lot of people in fact there's a crazy study that says that there's 30% more people that have anxiety and depression since the pandemic. So that that is more than 30% of people like walking around, not fully functioning. It affects everything. As you know, our minds and our bodies connect. So if our minds are at that heightened state, then our bodies start to deteriorate in different ways, which is when they come to see you. So what I love to kind of introduce or what I'm trying to introduce more is a, a more sustainable model of mental health like it's not a and like you only see a life coach or you only see a health coach or you only see there's a time for each one of those you know we're constantly changing we're moving along that continuum based on our life events so reaching out to one or the other to help us through life coaches help people 
through transitions and are more forward focusing, helping people like become the better versions. People come to me because they want to do better or be better or experience better or live better. It's that like, I know there's something different and I want, I want that, but I don't know how to get it. That's awesome. So you're not, you're not just focusing on problems of the past. You're actually focusing on how to be successful in the future. It sounds like. Exactly. I love that. I love that. Do you mind talking a little bit more about transitions? I know that is one of the areas that you're really focusing in on and and one of your specialties. What are some of the the primary transitions that you see people struggle with, you know, during during life? Well, COVID is one of them. Right. That's a good one. (laughs) I had had this client during COVID. He was a, a young man who him and his partner she had always worked from home, but he always went to the office and suddenly he was home and really struggling with what he now understood to be work-life balance. He said, I had it, I had it all before. So that transition for him was creating some structure in his own home so that he could find that work-life balance. But I work with people through career change, divorce. I work with cancer those who've experienced cancer that are shifting from patient to participant in their own health. So moving away from the medical world. And in a lot of ways, they feel abandoned by the system once their treatment ends, because suddenly (laughs) they're on their own and they're not really sure how to move forward. So I often have this conversation with clients where like if you, when you get diagnosed with cancer or any kind of health issue in our culture, we kind of go to the health system and hand the keys over to the car. We're like, here you go, help me, fix me. And with cancer, they can't, they fix you. They fix the physical problem. They remove the cancer or kill the cancer, however right. you want to put it. But then when it's finished, they hand you back the keys and they say, okay, see you later. And you stand there and you look at the keys. Maybe it's a fob now, not an actual key. Or you look (laughs) at the car and say, that's not my car. I don't even know how to drive that car. So it's helping people get back into that seat of, I call it, I mean, it's called agency, but that seat of power, building back the self-efficacy to take control of their own situation health I love it. yeah and i love it and i think it's you know something that people could be proactive with as opposed to being reactive too you know well, i mean absolutely there's going to be times where things hit you like a ton of bricks you have no idea that they're coming and you're going to need that help to transition through that but at the same time i could see you know getting ready for a transition prior to the point where you're struggling whether that's you know retirement for example or or like you said relationship issues i, I feel i have always said this we see this all the time and it breaks my heart these people who work hard their entire life they they're, they're workaholics that's their passion is their career and then they get to the point where they finally can retire and then you know within a month or within a couple of weeks or even 6 months it's like boom they're labeled with a diagnosis of cancer or you know, they have a heart attack or something 
drastic happens. And that, that can't be coincidence, right? I mean, there, there, that happens so much. And I think that just goes to show how powerful the emotional state is mm. during those transition and what the impact that can be physically on your health. So I just, I love, I, I just resonate with what you're doing because I think it's so important and I think it's undervalued, you know, really recognizing how important transitions are to go through those in a, in a healthy way. Yes. You know, one of the biggest pieces of it, especially for people in our, I mean, anybody, but I think people in our fifties in the, that section, the midlife, it's not meant to be done alone. And often you can't change in an unchanged environment. It's really, really hard for you to maybe talk about retirement. You, you might be, especially if you're not communicating or expressing your emotions, your partner might worry like, oh, wait a minute, you're talking about retirement. So having these safe spaces, I, I break our support system into two. It's kind of crude, but I break them into two groups. They are our ground crew, those people that have loved us into being. They know us in a certain light. They want to keep us there. And if you change, it's really uncomfortable for them. So they're not always on board with it. And then there's co-pilots, those people that can help you be, do, experience, live better, and only see you in that light. Like they don't know all that other stuff about you. So you can go to this other, these other expert companions to help you through that change so and build confidence so that you can go back into your ground crew and be that person with, you know, being able to stand tall with dignity and, and with a soft front to let people in so that they don't even really know what hit them. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Different with them. I'm not really <laughs> sure what it is, but that's like change that comes from the inside out versus wanting others to change. Like right. you need to do this. It's, it's us, it's us inside and getting a PhD on me is part of the requirements, but you can't do that on your own. You really need co-pilots like you, like everybody in your practice. Right that can help you be that person and strengthen that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important for people to to understand and to think about, especially here in New England. I feel like everybody's a little bit, you know, I do every, you know, dependent on themselves or they, they want to do everything on their own. They're not, you know, there's not always that emotion or that talk, you know, it's just about seeking out help or, or or wanting people to help them with different things. So I think it's just such an important concept to, for everybody to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is important. So, you know, as humans, we desire to feel safe and connected and satisfied, but we often do things that really keep us from, you know, achieving these desires. So what, can you talk a little bit about some of the roadblocks that really you run into that prevent people from making change? Yes. So one of them is what I was just talking about, like, being a changed person in an unchanged environment, really hard to sustain change when your environment is the same. And when I say environment, it's the people, it's the place. I'm sure you run into this all the time when you're trying to change yes. habits. If you're all, the only person trying to change in the house, it's really hard to s sustain that kind of change. 
The other thing is our negativity bias. And I know you've heard about this. I've listened to a few of your podcasts, so this has come up in other ones. <laughs> but really, we have a proclivity to look at the negative and hyper-focus on it and really let go of the good things that are happening in our life. And the third thing is, you know, this goes back to that type C personality. Type C personality types have often have a low sense of self-worth, or at least they put themselves at the bottom, very reluctant to spend time and money and energy on themselves. And they do it because they're selfless. They're giving to other people. But what the irony is, is if they give to themselves, the other people benefit. So the circles that they influence. So trying to get past that little hump of you are worth investing in. You are worth investing time. You are worth investing energy. You are worth investing money to be the person that you want to be because everybody around you, the, the circle that you influence will just shine brighter. Absolutely, man. That's such an important thing. I mean, oh. I hope people rewind that and listen to that again, because it's, we see that all of the time. Like it, even people that come into the practice, they almost, they feel guilty about it. They feel guilty that they're investing their time and their energy and their money into coming here, you know, and, and those are the people that really get taken advantage of by everybody else, you know, and it's like, no, if you, if you just focus it on you, the benefits are endless you know, of what you can achieve and what you can give, you know, to the community and to your family. So yes. that, that is challenging for people, but man, it is so important. Again, that's, that's crucial. I have a beautiful example of this with one of my clients, which I was so, it was one of those moments where I like, yes, this is why I do what I do. This is so beautiful. She's a young woman and she was kind of being proactive about a difficult transition. Her children are both not grown up. They're in middle school, but she was already kind of foreshadowing like, wait, I want to find myself again. I don't want to lose myself. So she had a master's in education and she had this idea for creating, she works in the school system as like a sub, a sub teacher, but she wanted to create a program within the school for mental wellness, to teach kids mental wellness. So she started creating this and her husband was like, well, why are you doing that? What's happening? You're, you need to be home. And she's like, wait a minute, like that doesn't feel right. I need to be doing something. And I'm really, I really want to help these kids that there's so much mental anguish. So she kind of went back into this way of being, which was the harmonizer. That's how she mm -hmm. described herself. She's like, I, that's my role in our house. I bring harmony. And so I asked her like, so what are the benefits or the payoffs of harmony? You know, what does that serve for you? There was this magical moment where she, her, you could just see the light bulb in her eyes. And she's like, huh, actually keeping harmony in my house feels like I'm trying to keep everyone happy and everything good with no conflict. But the cost is I'm completely disconnected. We're all disconnected from each wow. other. And that and she's like, and that leads me to be resentful. I become really resentful, but I don't express the resentment. It's just kind of. Yeah, there. sure, sure. And 
what happens is my body just feels so clogged up. So I first started seeing her because she had a, a cancer scare. So she's like, my body feels that clogged up. I just feel really clogged up. And I said, well, what would you, what would you prefer? And she said, I actually want to be harmonious from the inside out. So we've been working on this for like six months. And just last week, I had a conversation with her and she said, I can't tell you. I'm now seeing their nine-year-old son said to the dad, dad, I really don't like when you're on the phone all the time in the car, when you're driving me back and forth from basketball, because I really want to talk to you, but I can't talk to you because you're on the phone and it doesn't feel like you're there. And so the dad was like, whoa, buddy, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. And then he came home and he said to his wife, wow, I feel like Zach is really, was I was disconnecting from Zach because I was kind of in my own world. Yeah. That conversation would have never happened. She's (laughs) launched her course. So she's teaching in the school system. Her husband's completely on board because they found a way. They had several difficult conversations which required her to express her emotions and ask for what she needed. But it's so powerful. And she saw the influence, like the reverberation on her change spun out this change in her son, this change in her husband. So she could see how those people that she thought she was serving before actually were served better by her serving herself first. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think there's so many people, you know, who are stuck in that, in that place and, and again, are missing out on their full potential because of it. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Well, I know one of the things you, you call yourself a conduit that gives research legs. Can Mm. you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Yes. So I am a positive psychology life coach and there is so much new research that is in I'm sure you run into the same thing, that brilliant research that goes into some medical journals right. that other brilliant researchers read, where really it's people like us that need to hear the research and absolutely how it works and, and why it works. So I'm a little bit of a junkie when it comes to positive psychology and the research that is out there. I stand on the shoulders of so many that are bringing this idea of flourishing and really being able to live fully to light. One of those things is the post-traumatic growth, which is something that I tripped over during my positive psychology training. And I was so enamored by it. I decided to use it as my capstone project for graduation. And it's one of those things that, you know, sat in a file cabinet since 1994 And for some reason, maybe it's because of our collective negativity bias, the (laughs) other part of the research during that time, which was post-traumatic stress disorder, that became very, you know, a lot of people know about that. Sure, sure. And I ask people about post-traumatic growth, they all say, no, I don't know what that is. But the research was done around the same time. And this research was also done on the military. And they were trying to figure out why some People are coming back from tours of duty, able to not just get back to normal, but really bounce forward 
and live a better life than they had before they left. And others just couldn't get their feet underneath them. So that that research that came out when I was first learning about it, it all they were all things that were real and happened to me after my cancer diagnosis, which is why I was able to silently suffer because everything else was working. The first five elements that this original research in the 90s that came out, like I had support, I had great relationships. I had, I was aware of my personal strengths and I could use them. I had a kind of a optimistic attitude. So life possibilities, I could see life possibilities after cancer spiritual change. I had a strong sense of me being part of something bigger. And then I had a, I've always had this attitude of gratitude or this appreciation for life. So all five of those things were present and made perfect sense to me. So that research was really strong, but I feel, still felt like something was missing. So I kept digging and found some research from the UK. Her name's Dr. Kate Heffernan. And she said, oh, okay, that's great. Those things of the mind and the spirit, but what about the body after trauma? So she introduced what she calls the corporeal elements of post-traumatic growth, corporeal being of body. And her two elements were, how do we reconnect to the body? And then how do we change habits to support that new body? And I love, I can't remember the teacher's name, but he says it's time to start taking new meds, which is right. Your so your, t- your mindfulness, exercise, diet, and sleep. Those are new meds Beautiful. that do not require pharmaceutical company. Right. So those, those two things were definitely missing after my cancer. Yeah. Not reconnect to my body. In fact, I completely disconnected from my body. And my habits didn't change because my environment didn't change. I changed right. it at the beginning. Like I started eating all organic and, but slowly reverted back to my old ways of being because there was no, nothing sticky about the changes. And then I've introduced two other elements. One is called permission to feel. So I invite the emotions in and teach people not only you have permission to feel, but also how you can healthily emote. I teach people how our emotions work, what's going on in our body. And then the last one, which everybody always loves, is positive sexuality. And the (laughs) way that I talk about that is more intimacy or into me, I see. Again, it requires getting a PhD in our own selves before we can be in relationship with others. So it's that invitation to do that. So all of the, everything in there, and I call this post-traumatic wholeness, all of it is research-based. I am standing on the shoulders of so many brilliant people to bring that research out into the people that need it. That's awesome. So how, so how many pillars are there for your post-traumatic wholeness model? You mind There's reviewing nine. that again? Nine pillars. Nine yeah. Take us through that again, because I think that's important for people to hear. Yes. I love that. Yes. And you know what? As as I say them, I would just invite you as you're listening to note if this one this one might come easy to you or circle it if this is one you want to know more of, if 
if this raising some curiosity, no judgment, just <laughs> curiosity. So the first one is interpersonal relationships. So that also includes that co-pilot, uh, ground crew, finding the support that you need, getting the support that you need. The second one is personal strengths. I use a resource called via character, via via character.org. It's a free survey. Lots and lots of research went into that, but what it will come, what will come up for that is there's 24 character strengths that all of us have, but this test will order it in order of and your top five in the positive psychology world, we refer to as your signature strengths, the things that come really easy to you. And once you know them, it's really interesting. Every client that's ever done this, they say, wow, yeah, that that's me. That's totally me. So we use those strengths to help them in the change that they're trying to make. So wow. humor is one of your top that makes strengths. makes sense. Yeah. Right? You know, we all grew up in a school system that funneled us, that, that were basically built to funnel us into factories. That's why our school system was built. So that's why we all went into schoolrooms. We list, we got in lines. The information came at us and we regurgitated it and moved up like a little amoeba. We were all supposed to be the same. They wanted us the same. We do not live that way anymore. What we really need to highlight is how we're different and how we can bring those strengths into the world and acknowledging what those strengths are and, and really letting them shine makes life so ease filled. Yeah. It's when it's when you're doing that, you're in your authentic self, which we all want to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just makes sense of again, focusing on what you're good at as opposed to what you're not good at. Because it seems like in society, we're kind of pushed that direction, right? Exactly. You're not good enough. You need, to, you need to work harder. You need to do this and this and this instead of really cherishing what, what comes natural. Yeah. So that, that via character.org, via stands for values in action. Awesome. So it's real. that one's a huge one and kind of a baseline for all of them. The third element is called new life possibilities. And that's that idea, like there's something more, something after, and it's possible. The fourth one is spiritual change. This is a really hot topic. Dr. Lisa Miller is doing extraordinary work with depression in children in terms of the spirituality because of the over-focus on cell phones and digital stuff. So spiritual change, it's not, it doesn't mean religion, although for some people that's the same. It's really that idea of I'm part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And the fifth one is changed priorities or appreciation of life. So those are the first five introduced by Tedeschi and Ta Calhoun. Then the sixth one is a new relationship or reconnecting with your body. The seventh is forming new habits to support that body new meds. And then we have the eighth one as permission to feel, learning how to healthily emote. And the last one is positive sexuality. Awesome. Awesome. And, and these are all things that you address, you know, in your, in your life coaching sessions. Yes. And what's really interesting is the ones that come easy for people 
And if it doesn't come easy, personal strengths is always one that I work on. But if you think of these as like cogs and starts to turn, the others turn a little easier. Absolutely. So we build on the ones that are easy and, and then we get to the ones that are a little more challenging. Awesome. Well, I know, I know emotions, you mentioned that that's a big, that's an mm. important part of that model. Do you mind just talking a little bit more about, you know, why they're so important? Yes, they are incredibly important, especially with that type C. There's there's more and more research that ties it to illness, suppressed emotions. You know, a lot of people I included grew up like learning not to feel or being told not to feel. Or if I was trying, if, if I was feeling being told I actually wasn't feeling that way, like, no, you're not <laughs> that. <laughs> So we have to relearn how to express ourselves because like my client, the emotions just clog our system up. So it's so important to learn how to healthily emote. And we have a new kind of phenomenon happening now called emotional inflammation, which it is, it's as pervasive as physical inflammation and just as curious because you can't always put your finger on what's causing it. It's so systemic. You don't always know like what emotion is causing me to be inflamed. Well, uh, yeah. Talk to me a little bit more about it. Cause I think our, our listeners, a lot of them are going to be familiar with that concept of inflammation, right? Cause we talk about it all the time, but, but in a totally different concept, we're talking about inflammation from, you know, hormone imbalances or, you know, infections or toxic exposures, but you're referring to inflammation related to emotion. So it, what does that mean? Like what, 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 how, how, what does that even mean? I love it. I love that. Yeah, That's the first it, time I've heard of that, you know, emotional inflammation. So can you just expand on that to help us understand? Yes. And we all, I think we can all, because of COVID, I think we can all actually viscerally feel what that feels like. It's that overwhelm that we can't do anything about it. The woman that coined that phrase, her name's Dr. Lisa Sustran. She's a psychotherapist in Washington, D.C., and she was noting more and more of her clients, a lot of them that worked on Capitol Hill around climate change, were coming in and and not even able to enjoy, like they would go hiking and they couldn't even enjoy the vista because they were so emotionally inflamed that they already, they, the only thing they could think about was the end of it. Like, this is not going to be here anymore. I'm not going to ever be able to enjoy. So they couldn't be present in their state because they were pulled by the past, pushed by the future. Right. So it's that filling up and that overwhelm and not being able to process all of what's inside. A lot of that happens because we're stuffing emotions, but then there's that additional overwhelm of the unknown. I have one really good friend that constantly watches the news. And we were having this huge discussion and she was petrified of COVID, did not leave her house her for a full year. And wow. I kept trying to explain to her that that was actually, watching the news was actually more dangerous to her than going outside because right. of that emotional inflammation effect that just leaves you, just like physical inflammation, it leaves you 
susceptible to any little thing that might happen. You're just, you're immune. It's a psychological immune system is get suppressed. Right. That causes physical problems, right? That I mean, I'm, there's such an intimate relationship between both of those and each one could defeat the other, I'm sure. But yes. you know, I think people are starting to recognize just how how much your emotions affect your physical body. And it's just neat to see that research come out. So yes, important. Exactly. We need to give it some legs and get it out there. Yes, absolutely. So what methods do you use to help people overcome this? Like what strategies are you implementing? Yeah. One of my, one of my absolute favorite comes from Jill Bolte-Taylor. She's a researcher. I don't remember what college she works at, but her research shows that the physiological effects of an emotion is 90 seconds. So by that, I mean, if you're, let's say you're texting and crossing the street, something I know that you would never do, but <laughs> you're texting on your phone, you're crossing the street and you hear a car horn. And so your whole body goes into that fight or flight. You might have a rapid heartbeat. All of your blood goes to your extremities to give you the ability to run away. Your hands are sweaty. If you just, by the time you get to the other side of the street and maybe at the corner, those things, those physiological effects start to just dissipate on their own because 90 seconds is the life cycle of that physiological effect. What that means is when you start getting more in control of your emotions, it's when we choose to stay in a negative emotion or choose to even stay in a positive emotion that is unhealthy. Emotions are meant to be fleeting. They mm -hmm. come, they go. They have a lot of data to share with us when we start to learn how to understand them. Negative emotions are not bad. I, I treat negative and positive emotions almost, I explain to people that it's like a battery. You need both sides to charge. You need both the negative and the positive. So there's a reason for them. And when you start becoming more aware of the emotions in your body, then you can start stepping away from them, giving them some space. So for example, for cancer survivors, a lot of them deal with something called scanxiety. They're going to get scans. It's six months, five years, however long. The body keeps the score. As soon as those doors open and you start walking into that place, your whole body's like, yeah, I know this place. So yeah. you get super freaked out. You have anxiety. Maybe you start sweating. Sure. You don't know if you're going to throw up or pass out. Yep. And so I invite my clients to just be with what's happening. Like, yep. Here I am. I'm in that place, but I have them set their watch for 90 seconds. Go sit somewhere in the waiting room. Feel what you're feeling. Like, wow, I feel really anxious. I remember this place. Really bad news happened here. When the, when the watch goes off, stand up very mindfully, take your body with you and go find somewhere else to sit in the waiting room. Set your clock for 90 seconds and just notice everything that's going well. Your fingers move, your lungs are inflating, your eyes open, somebody that loves you is sitting next to you, that woman that has the receptionist, she's still here five years later, smile on her face, greeting people. Now, when the clock goes off, you can choose 
you can go back and sit in that other chair because this is your reality. You're in the waiting room and you're getting a scan. But now you're at choice. And I promise you on your way back over there, the emotion is less charged. You're in control. You're driving the car and choosing to be stressed out. It's okay to be stressed out mindfully, but now the tail is not wagging the dog. The dog is in control. It is so powerful. Wow. 90 seconds. That's that's incredible. Now, I know you are... You have developed some programs and you're you're working on one currently, but do you mind in the, the taking in the good in, in that program that you utilize, is, is that what you're kind of focusing in on or strategies similar to that to help people in yes. those situations? Yes. Talk a little bit more about that because I think that that would be great. Yeah. Taking in the good. This is the work of Dr. Rick Hansen and I am one of his teachers. So I this is his course, Taking in the Good. And I think an analogy that that works really well is like if you think of your mind as a garden you constantly have to be pulling weeds and planting seeds and pulling weeds this is really funny because when i was going through the positive psychology before i i found rick hansen's work which was probably 3 years into this i was planting seeds planting seeds planting seeds and i to the point where i thought my head was going to explode but I was having, I was still having a really hard time emotionally with anxiety and very, I would go high and low, get really sad about the end of my marriage. And then I bumped into Rick's work and I realized like, oh, haven't been pulling any weeds. You can't grow a lot of stuff in there if you have, if it's all dunked up with weeds. So these old ways of being hadn't kind of pulled them out yet. These old emotions, they were still suppressed. So, you know, writing, this might seem really silly, but writing a letter to my ex-husband, not calling him because that would have been like going to Lowe's for milk and eggs. Like (laughs) I was just not going to get the response that I needed, but getting it out of my body, writing it down, I actually read it to my therapist so that I could get validated and hear what I needed to hear from a human being on the other side. And then I burned it. Seems really simple, but that was a big dandelion weed, you know, like wow. that you just rip out of there. Yeah. The, but the other way that he teaches, which is so brilliant, because I think it's missing a lot in the self-development world is, you know, we keep trying to plant new things. We want to better ourselves, better ourselves. But we don't always go to the depth of those ways of being that aren't serving serving us anymore or old memories that keep that rut of we get triggered and we go right back to that old way of being. So the magic is when you have a good moment, when you have a good experience. So say they're in your office and you're going through new tests and they've just done, I'm in the middle of a cleanse with your practice. So (laughs) you can practice on me in a month when I go back and get the new new tests. But I've been, say they've been doing it for two months and you get new test results and they're good. Right. They're good results. There's 96 good results and there's one not so good result. 
It's helping people focus on the good and really take it in. Like I call it sense drenching. Like let yourself really take it in. Again, 90 seconds, not a long time, but feels really long when you do it with clients. Like, okay, we're going to spend 90 seconds. Yeah, yeah. To feel what it feels like to feel good. I love it. I love it. Because, I mean, and it makes such a difference. We see that with people, you know, because that's usually what happens, right? Is they have all, all these good results. Once in a while, you'll have one that didn't change or maybe got a little worse. And and in the people who hyper-focus in on that, they, they fall off track, right? They they don't, it's like it, they take all of that positive work they've done and, it, and it's like it's gone. Whereas other people, I mean, they just, they can take that information, that positive information, just run with it and they're the rock stars, right? So they all have the capability to do that. We do. And here's the magic. So when you're working with people and you're having them like take in the good, like feel what it feels like to feel good. And then you invite them to invite an old memory of when they didn't feel so good. Yeah. Now the magic here is If that old memory gets too powerful, like just drop it because it won't be helpful, but keep the positive experience at the forefront, bring up that old experience when they didn't feel good. Like think of a time when you didn't feel this good. And then the the way that I do the meditation is have the good experience. Imagine somebody's opening your head and pouring warm honey and that honey is like filling your body with that good experience, even maybe filling the holes in your heart when you didn't feel so good. So then you pull up the old experience and you kind of imagine that honey, like making a little river to that old experience. And then you get these magic, beautiful gold shears and you cut that little river and let the old memory go. Here's where the power comes in. In the next hour, you just Call up to mind like, wow, I feel really good. You bring up that positive experience because what's happening is that old memory goes to reconsolidate and you're disrupting the hell out of it. It can't go back into the drawer hole because you're disrupting it by standing into this positive state. So by doing this, the positive state becomes a positive trait and you start to let go of these old ways of being because you're replacing that. This is positive neuroplasticity. You're replacing, you're giving the brain a new route to go down next time that trigger happens. That's awesome. That's incredible. Kind of magic. It, that's awesome. I mean, it is. It's amazing what the brain and the body are capable of achieving, right? And And how we're not prioritizing that in the grand scheme of things. But I think if, if more people did, I mean, it's just it, the, the results are endless, right? You can do, you can accomplish anything. That's awesome. You can accomplish anything and, and you live with such ease. Like, right. It's just living becomes just easier. It's not the that's, struggle. That's awesome. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. And I know you have, you have so much to offer you know, you've been through so much. You're just an incredible person. You've got so many great tools to help so many people. And I would, so how do people find you? So what, how can we share your information? What's the best way to get in contact with you? Because not only, you know, again, you have multiple things that you're working on, multiple programs to offer. So how do people find out all about you and what you're doing? (laughs) Yes. You can find it all on my website, which is 
kathywashburn.net, kathywashburn.net. And the programs are, the courses are on there. My one-on-one coaching is on there. What else is on there? Oh, I have a blog that is- Yeah, great blogs, great blogs. So (laughs) yes. That's awesome. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. People will be able to just click on your- links and find out all about you. And I I always love to end a podcast with a with a health or wellness tip that, you know, everybody can implement to try to improve their their state of well-being. Do you have anything specific that would be beneficial for our listeners? I think the 90-second rule is a good one. So when people feel and this the word triggered is kind of overused maybe, but if you feel a fill of emotion and you're in relationship with somebody, just give yourself 90 seconds, take a big mother, may I step back, kind of get in control of what the emotion is telling you, understand if it's a new emotion or a recycled one, and then step forward in relationship with somebody. It's such a magic, it really is like a whole different way of being when you can start being in control of your emotions versus them being in control of you. Absolutely. I'm going to use that exercise myself. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, it's been such a blast chatting with you and I hope to do it again in the future. I'm sure you've got so many different topics you could could talk about, but I just encourage everybody to go and check out your website and take advantage of all the all the great resources that you have there. And I do appreciate your time for being on the podcast and look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you so much. And I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I'm Dr. Seth Osgood, the founder of Grassroots Functional Medicine. Don't forget, you can join the Grassroots private Facebook group to connect with fellow health seekers and find practical tips to improve your state of wellness. Just search Grassroots Community on Facebook to join. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're looking for a comprehensive program to reclaim your state of wellness with cutting-edge testing, a team of providers to hold you accountable, and a structured plan of action to not only get you well, but to keep you well in the years to come, check out our adaptation programs online at grassrootsfunctionalmedicine.com. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed day.